You are now listening to Well, Well, Filling Out. never gonna get that stain out. Nothing says it's over like running over your ass. It had to be a woman. It had to have been a woman. Are you wearing it? Wait, how big were her breasts? <laughs> we're gonna talk more about Constantine and his what is he doing. We're gonna talk more <laughs> about Constantine and what he might be up to as we go over into musings. All right, yo. Hmm. Well, hmm. Any thoughts? Ponderings. Any feelings? Wonderings. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you muse first. Good, sir? All right. So this first, first muse uh, is just uh, a slight question, a slight uh, hiccup. Sorry, uh, that's me being obnoxious, <laughs> opening my snack like, let me just rip it now <laughs> so I can get all the groceries over with. Okay, great. This is a, a slight hiccup, a slight uh, adjustment where I'm just wondering if... Our beloved, or I should say, our vision for the way our dark Eve is supposed to rise, if that rising is in danger due to the survival of one Nico Palastri. Um, it would have been fun to see both of these uh, actresses run into each other where they both have nothing to lose. I'm not saying they both need to see each other manic panic. That's, that's not Who are you talking really about? what I'm saying. Even oh, Villanelle? Even Villanelle. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not trying to say that the lady in red needs to watch her back, but evidently she does because handling, like I said, someone routinely under that much duress can prove really, really risky. And um, then you got to face like if you factor in the fact that Villanelle at this point still hasn't seen Eve and needs comfort in one of the few ways that she normally seeks it, whether that means shopping or gay cannibalism or murder. And you know, the suit on her looks amazing, but you know, you saw her hair; she looked. She, she, like you said, you said someone give her a hug because that's what she, she was really looking needs like. It. She really needs one. So, uh, is I'm just trying to figure out now for Villanelle and Eve. How how do how do we draw the pathway to get them to each other? Where does where does <sighs> Eve go immediately from watching Nico? If she starts in Poland, when does she get back to the bitter pill? And if she gets to the bitter pill, where is she bowling? Is she bowling back in Poland or is she bowling in London? Is Dasha back? In the States? It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. And Villanelle, if if she does a beeline to where Constantine is, when, if we open with her meeting with Helene, where is that meeting? Is is that meeting just outside of Russia? I would presume it is either in London, Spain, or France. France because Helene is French. Spain because that's where Villanelle is and they told her to stay put. Or London because that is the other major city. So that's my very educated guess <laughs> of where it could be. Uh, where am I? Where am I? Oh, yes. Since stills are picturing Nico as still in the picture, we can assume the flash forward in time will have us begin Eve's journey in the Polish hospital. Can he at the very least remain unconscious? <laughs> Well, I mean, now we have to factor in when Eve will leave Nico's side. Like, will she be there for weeks? Like, what does this timetable look like? It's not my muse. So I'm just letting no, you. Uh, like, are you asking me questions? Are these yourself? I'm, are you asking yourself questions? Do you have asking, answers for your questions? Or are you just musing questions to no one or I everyone? I more than likely am using questions to no one. <laughs> but, but, 
with the understanding that there are only three episodes left, how much of this journey is worth mentioning and worth covering and worth filling? So there's so much that we have to get to, but how much of this is the meat? How much of this can we just kind of skip past and say in in retrospect, like how, how can the story be told where it's as engaging and as monumental an episode? Are we, are we on route to still getting Emmy, uh, worthy performances in this series that's my hope i mean i already think we're getting emmy worthy performances whether or not the emmy body thinks they oh, are right, deserving right. of awarding probably has to do with how the season concludes itself because we know that's i mean look at game of thrones if you'd ask them at the beginning of the season who's going to begin the emmy sweep they would have been like us bitch us but because of the way it ended there were different um things very true so, very true goes back to what i said in one of my, my what is it one of my revelation that these last three episodes make or break the season and it's perception on everybody. Well, so those are my initial thoughts on what Eve and Villanelle could be doing and how they plan on doing it for at least episode six. And we'll wait and see until the episode goes live how it all shakes down. Because Nico's still alive. How much smoke... I feel like it's less smoke now that Eve would have for Adasha. Yes, you almost killed my husband, but a lot of people almost killed your husband. It's different. It just feels different. Mm, well, yeah, it's not my muse. So I will say, yeah, it's different. I've had to reimagine scenarios. Definitely leaves a different taste for what we can expect of Eve's psyche. We were expecting something else when it comes to Dark Eve Rising. I am not to the point where I think Dark Eve Rising is in jeopardy because Nico is alive. I think that presents new alternate routes for what can happen. To close off that story, I still think Nico is a done deal. It's just going to happen differently than we originally thought it would. And this feels like when they killed Glenn, then they didn't, and then they killed him later. They may not kill Nico. I just think his time is done. And what's weird about how the marketing has happened is that we know this is happening, and I'm like, if you're going to use it for a cheap thrill or just like, oh, look, surprise, why? Why did the promotional photo make its way to the timeline? Why? Killing Eve, why? Right. That should have been the one frame that you were like, hey, you know what you can't show? Just like the kiss? Don't show this. Don't show this. Don't tell people ahead of time so they can have the surprise, but I suppose that's just me. All right, so just a last point before we move off your muse where you were talking about, like, the bowling. I know there was a lot of thought going around the fandom online that the bowling alley had to be in Russia or perhaps Poland, given what we thought initially of what was happening with Nico. But thanks to a fan on the interwebs that clued in Killing Eve sites at Villanelle and one who evidently has extraordinary knowledge of London, said that the location of the Bowling Alley, which is here identified as Rowan's Tenpin Bowl of Stroud Green Road, Finsbury Park, is a place in London. So theoretically, Eve sees what happens to Nico, returns to London and life. And in this moment, she sees Dasha. If she sees Dasha here, obviously Dasha has come to London to fuck with Eve or just like general mayhem that Elaine wants her to do. Or maybe not. Dasha gets chaotic as fuck. So she could be off the book doing what she want to do. But right, right. Who really knows? OK, so yeah, that's that. All right. Let me go to one of my musings. All right. So this first musing is really the muse upon which all my other muses are built. And that is my major muse about the purpose of this past episode, Are You From Pinner? So for me, this family episode is is about 
providing emotional motivation for what Villanelle has done and what she might do in the future. The why of the motivation. Why has she sought certain things out? Why does she potentially act a particular way with children or with Eve, etc.? But not to explain the killer. And so I've seen a number of tweets and things and things. And from what I've been able to glean from what Suzanne has said and what Jody has said, nothing about the episode is supposed to explain Villanelle or explain her darkness per se as opposed to fattening up who she is as a person because I'm still in the camp of you cannot explain murder like this especially because it's so wanton a lot of times with Villanelle that it's not compulsive I mean we've we've had these conversations about is it a compulsive killing and how compulsive is it and what exactly are her triggers to do this but ultimately I do not feel like and especially because if they actually came out and said actually if they actually came out and said okay this is explaining why Villanelle's a killer they might have lost me entirely in terms of being sophisticated writers. I'm like, that's not that's not how that works. Like we've said, tons of people in the world literally have shitty parents, horrible parents, really sadistic and violent parents. Not all of those humans become derelict murderers. So that in and of itself cannot be an explanation for why Villanelle is how she is. For me, it just gets to the core underpinning of her particular neuroses, which I think is rooted in loneliness and lack lack of. And so what Suzanne said about just because a person can be on the sociopathic spectrum doesn't mean they don't want to be loved. And actually like how she said that because she didn't frame it in, oh, doesn't mean they can't love because that's not what she said. And she didn't even imply that Villanelle loved her mother. She said just because Villanelle's out here murdering people doesn't mean she doesn't want to be loved. It doesn't want to be accepted. It's a very human thing. And even though Villanelle has shown that she can be a bit inhuman sometimes, according to people, that this is actually a real life thing. And so, yeah, I think that Villanelle is still a non-neurotypical person with very disturbing tendencies. She just needed like a misandry den mother to take her when she was a child versus sending her to the orphanage like her whack-ass mother did to help sharpen her skills, like, you know, Dexter style, while still providing love and support. And then we might have just a slightly more well-adjusted Villanelle on our hands than the one we have. And I kind of had a sub-muse here, which is just a tweet I came across that I disagreed with. And it was basically a tweet that was saying, Xana clearly has the ability to feel empathy, regret, hope, and disappointment. The lack of love on top of systemic indoctrinated violence equals adapting by developing massive sociopathic tendencies. But to call her a psychopath after that episode, wrong. So the latter half, I believe, is I don't think anyone should refer to Villanelle as a psychopath because it's just too much of a simplification. But I massively disagree with the decision that it's the lack of love on top of systemic indoctrinated violence equals adapting by developing massive sociopathic tendencies. And the reason why I say this to you is because I was referencing in the recap about my dad's profession and what he did. Well, here's one. Because Suzanne decided to allude to darkness for both Villanelle's description of her mother and her mother's description of her, we are left to wonder what this is. So we could say Tatiana was a shitty mom, but if all Tatiana ever did was say horrible things to her kids, while that makes her a shitty person, an abusive person, it still puts her on the spectrum of abuse. And so that's different from, say, a parent who's putting cigarettes out in their kid's arm. That's different from a parent that is starving their children, that is locking them in a hole or a closet. So, you know, I know trauma can't be quantified. I'm just saying realistically the levels of trauma or physical PTSD a person can suffer are different. And so I just, I would caution people who potentially are thinking, well, Villanelle has feelings. She cried. She wanted her mother to love her. So it's it's clearly the lack of love and, and this indoctrinated violence because, again, I'm just wondering where that indoctrinated 
violence that assumption has come from. And we've said before that I think most sociopaths are floating through life being nonviolent. They are just affecting people with their shitty words and actions and their manipulative tendencies and destroying lives. Potentially, that's where Tatiana is living because we don't have confirmation either way. Tatiana could have bodies in the back or Tatiana could just be like a fucking Lisa from Girl Interrupted where her words eviscerate whole souls and send people to the bad place. That could be Tatiana. But that in and of itself doesn't explain a goddamn sociopath. I just refuse to believe it. And one of the things that actually came to mind when I was thinking about Villanelle, after the fact, I asked you if you watched a lot of SVU episodes. I mean, not everyone is like me who's seen every episode of SVU because I have. But have you? Uh, I've seen a few. More than five seasons? Well, there is a season and there is an episode that starred Kyle McLaughlin, you know, from Twin Peaks. I think I'm saying his last name right. Do you know who that is? Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks? I want to say, Blue Velvet? Blue Velvet? I just said his most famous things. I'm at a loss. I guess I can Google. But how do you? Blue Velvet. That's his old picture. It's with Isabella Rosalini. Eat me. Eat me. Eat me. (laughs) I'm just out here acting out scenes and you're like, Candace, no. Swing and a miss. No, but. You you said swing and a miss. So you definitely haven't seen that. I have one of those posters, one of my favorite posters, where the woman is in the the garters and she's laid out, laid back over this counter. I have that poster hanging up. But yes, that's... So I just exposed my film nerdism as I was like, eat to me, eat to me. But when you see the movie, you go, know what I mean? And why the shorty was like, eat to me, would you? And he was like, I don't know if I want to. And then he does what he has to he, do. Okay. Well, she she intimidates him a great deal. Um, what was I saying before this? I completely uh, lost my train of thought. SVU, this actor. Right. Okay. That's where he was. So Kyle McLaughlin is in an episode of SVU where he is, um, I want to say he's a psychotherapist. And the case has to do with his son being murdered. And essentially, we find out his son is murdered by another child. Yes, this episode is called Conscience. Thank you, Google. Rated a 9.2 on IMDb because that is how much people enjoyed it. And so essentially, because he is a psychotherapist, his son is murdered. And they there's this narrative put forth that is like, well, the kid is damaged. Well, the kid has problems. Well, things weren't nice in his life. And that's why he's acted out. And so Kyle's character is like, well, initially he's like, well, OK, you know, I'm a, I, I understand this. I'm a psychotherapist and I don't want to ruin two children's lives. My, my child is dead, but I don't want him to go to adult court. Let's keep him in family court so that his life isn't ruined. Because if he were to go to adult court and be convicted of murder, you know, different sentence. And so in the course of the case, they discover after they go to this bitch camp where they said he was bullied and the kids are, <laughs> and this was one of those camps for kids with issues, behavioral issues. And they go to the camp. So all the kids there have behavioral issues and they ask the kids about the kid and they're like, what? That guy that what said he wanted to kill me? The guy that wanted to burn me? The really creepy kid? Oh my and so God. they realized that he was full of shit and he flipped it. So he wasn't being bullied. He wasn't being burned with cigarettes. He was burning other kids. So all those badass little kids who were sent over there were like, no, I don't fuck with him. No, he was scary. No, he, I really thought he was going to kill me in my sleep. Multiple kids at the camp. But then Olivia and them are like, oh shit, we got the shit wrong. The kid's fucked up. The kid is rude. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. If you don't want this, skip ahead to the next chapter mark. Basically at the end of the episode, after the father realizes this and realizes that the kid is an expert manipulator expert and he just got got and the kid was definitely gonna get off on some bullshit to kill again later because we see a scene the kid has zero remorse cut to the end of this episode kyle's character shoots 
the child. Well, it's not the end, but it's not the end. He shoots the child and Olivia and them are like, yo, bitch, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, because you can't change these types of people. I'm a doctor. I know this. And the only way to help society, to save society, is to remove this type of human. And so that occurred to me because that episode was trying to reflect a reality that is probably very rare, but still happens. That a child comes into the universe and maybe has one person or two that they are like, protect that. I like that. I'm into this. This is important to me. But at but large, everything else, the right? disregard, Everyone because else. he hadn't murdered his mother, he hadn't murked his mom. He definitely seems like he could have murked his mom, but he didn't. He was murking other people. And so I'm just like, yo, when it comes to baby Villanelle, <laughs> I think she needed to be in a misandry school, an assassin school with the right type right. of woman to deal with her level of energy and just direct it, focus it in a place it needed to go. But I think it's a little bit unfair to ascribe the type of violence that they've hinted at Villanelle doing in her childhood from the file Eve Palastri had about her doing violent acts, multiple violent acts before the age of 10 to then say, well, it's because her mother was rude to her. It's because her mother said potentially she was stupid or that she was a failure or that she was dark. Because as we've said, there's millions of people on the globe who had horrible parents who did that and don't end up total assholes. That would have trended Villanelle for me in an unlikable direction if they were like, so this is the explanation. Villanelle really feels this is all her mother's fault because that's not what I want. I don't accept it from dude characters. My daddy didn't love me, so it's not my fault I'm this horrible person. It's like, well, a little bit. Just a (laughs) mild, just a little bit. Like it's you doing the bad. It's your, you put yourself in the shoe. Right. So that's the end of my muse is that Villanelle is definitely not a psychopath. She definitely feels, she definitely is capable of loneliness and a spectrum of human emotion. I would just say it's still limited. And because we do not know exactly what she did as a child, we simply cannot blame the mother because I think it's a false narrative to say, well, there's always a behavioral, there's always an environmental reason why someone is a misfit versus the unexplainable Lady Gaga. Baby, I was born this way. (laughs) And theoretically... Theoretically, also, can we say this? If Tatiana was indeed like Villanelle, and if we go with this potential scientific idea that these types of traits can be passed on in your genetics, in your DNA, she would know what isn't changeable, what is impossible, what isn't relevant to her child, which could also accelerate her rude attitude to Villanelle because there's no bluffing a person just like you, potentially. So, yeah. That's the end of that muse is that I, I don't like seeing the conjecture that Villanelle all of a sudden is just a broken child who needs love. And if she got enough therapy, she would be okay. I don't know that Villanelle will ever stop being a killer. I don't know that it's possible. What if, and I pose this to you, what if the mother saw her husband, the one that she loves supposedly, as being in the way? Like, let's say that she knows her traits. And you know what? That she can only literally tolerate a few people and then no one else. Tatiana? Tatiana. And she knows. She was being, unless she she was gaslighting Villanelle, she was acting like she loved the husband more than... Oksana. No, but uh, I believe that maybe her husband was one of the people. But for Villanelle, her dad was one of Villanelle's people. And so since the mom wasn't and the dad was, it was like, oh. You know, that's true. But also Suzanne hasn't cleared things up and people's memories can change and adapt, especially if people are dead, to fit the narrative you seek. Right. Those There's tons right. of experiments and things people have done to investigate memory and the projection that people put onto their memory. So I don't know that I fully believe that Villanelle's dad was Beyonce's dad. Daddy's little girl. (laughs) I don't know. I know what they're saying. I know what they're having Villanelle deliver lines, but they've already contradicted lines she's delivered before. So she could be lying. Or she could be lying to herself, lying to her mother. Because what what is even the point of the artifice? Dad laughed. No, he didn't. So there's no way for us to know which one of them is telling the truth. We just know they're both liars. 
And we know what Villanelle said last season. Do you even know when you're telling the truth? Not really. <laughs> so right. I just, I'm just trying to figure out what, what writers am I believing here, Suzanne? All of you? Because if I'm believing all of you, then that says it's in the realm of conjecture. I don't know. And so I'm just choosing to fill in what fits the narrative I prefer and what is what fits the narrative that I can see being crafted until it changes. Because coming home without your daughter, I mean, I don't see me being the father of a child and you not telling me, me demanding to know where my daughter is and you not telling me, me being happily married. Remember, and she suggested that it was his idea. So unless she murked the father and she's all the way lying, she is suggesting a collusion of shitty parenting with both of them. But well, Villanelle's right. fixating on her mother, maybe because it's her mother and because she's like, we are alike. But that sounds like two shitty parents. You can't send a kid to an orphanage and then blame one parent. But Villanelle is choosing to blame her mother more than her father because her father father laughed at jokes and taught you how to fight that's not good enough you were still at no, the orphanage it's true. you were still sent there it's true so some so, kind of bias unless right so unless her father got murked or he left because he was upset with the way how she dealt with their I don't daughter think she left. if he had left he would be found by someone now that's possible they could just retcon more shit in the future i just don't know that a villanelle's father is still in the world and nobody knows Nah, didn't seem like it. Is that's that's true. Because the brother came and he knows nothing, remembers nothing of that parent. And if he still if he's also skews that way, the mother is his person. So he's he loves his mother. Well, usually you love your parents if you're capable of it, because they exist. Whether or not they are deserving of your time, attention, or affection is something else entirely. But if you're an empathetic human, it's gonna be really hard not to love the human that was around potentially the most for at least a section of time. I think that's just something people can't avoid, which is why kids end up so fucked up by their parents, that you love your parents. You ultimately, and some people regret this or they resent it. Oh, I want to, I want to please. I want to, I want to feel validated by my parents. And parents are humans too that can fuck up and never give you any of that stuff that you need or want. And so it's. But I'm watching Papi Chula and his behavior uh, Papa Chula with the bangs and the fact that he doesn't even sleep in the same house as everyone else. He stays for mom. And you know what? He's but you got literally an affinity said to his he baby sleeps brother. in the barn for the right. stars. So yes. that's not. So that's why he sleeps outside. But that could also. Okay. But, but I, he, that's what he said. That's what we he saw said. him almost come to blows with somebody who called him soft and naive. At, at, but you're referring to his own stepbrother. Well, yeah. And I would argue as a person with siblings, you have them too. Those things happen, especially between testosterone havers that they can blow up unnecessarily a lot faster. So to me, that's all within the realm of believability with Papa Chula with the bangs. But that's just me because I don't think that he hates his mother. I think he's like, she's flawed. She has issues. She's not always the nicest person, but he does not have Villanelle's issue. And again, we don't know enough about what happened with her mom to speculate on that. I'll just fall back on the... You are too much like me, and I can't stand to see it. Okay. If you don't fully love yourself or you feel a way, and then you are confronted with that thing, especially that part that you've not learned to love or accept, you are like, get out of my face. And so if it's true that Tatiana had a great sadness about her husband that is gone or something to do with Villanelle, even if she's unable to express it in a way that is healthy, it is still there. Anyway, that is the end of that fucking muse. Bit of a long muse, but the basis of all other muses. Well, I liked it. All right, so what I will cover is, uh, ooh, why did I call this telephone? Let's see if I can figure this out. Okay, got it. 
Um, this muse will cover your own notes. Be confusing you, Terrence. It does. <laughs> it does sometimes. It does. What is the trade secret of MI6 or the 12? I get it now. Oh, God. The game of telephone Lord. with these details and the fact that, yes, they are retconning one another as we go from series to series. Why tell different parties different stories like they won't eventually come to light? Uh, why aren't these alibis for agents airtight? Like, is the goal to continue to be less impressed by the 12? Because they start to look less together. Unless we're trying to say that other agencies and not the 12 have been concocting these, like, narratives. I can't believe this muse is about details you will probably never get. When we still out here looking for the answer on why Carolyn was in Russia. <laughs> okay. We're looking for true. the answers why it Carolyn is, is in Russia. Why are you looking to connect the dots between <laughs> agencies that don't even talk in the show? You got me fucked up, Terrence. But please, continue with your, with your muse. I don't even know. So, all right. So, <laughs> as far as Lord. the 12 not looking sloppy, the closest thing we have to a saving grace is the lady in red. Helene. Helene. Thank you. <laughs> me knowing... Uh, that a young woman like that that has a rank and a position higher than Dasha and wouldn't give Constantine the time of day makes my heart sing. So, like, that's, like, the one thing where this MacGuffin or the 12, it's the one thing that they got going for them that looks great on paper up to this point. And if we about to get that out of the paint at, by the end of episode six, <laughs> then what does the 12 got to stand on that makes them look as amazing or as intimidating as their <sighs> their claim to fame to be? You know what I mean? Like That claim to fame was season one. They have lost the claim. Actually, I'll give the claim back to Raymond in the series two finale. But I since that has pretty much proven empty with Nico Palastri's breathing body, right. I don't Still even know why the threat was there. So... I don't, I have nothing to say. This so, so Felix I, and right. other things have shown that the 12 isn't nearly as sophisticated an organization as they pretend to be. Again, I'm trying to keep the optimism up with the lady in red, but if she gets murked by Villanelle, a part of me will live intensely and potentially ascend to know that Villanelle just takes this powerful bitch out. But I will also be disappointed that this powerful bitch is taken out so quickly. I'm like, couldn't you just introduce another one to have take out and then have Ellen be upset about it? Right. Can she just <laughs> like, have, like, why are we taking her out immediately before Dasha? The fuck? Like, can we have a, all right, so before we agree to your deal, we just need you to have this death match in this living room with this person over there. And then she wins. Like, give us something. Wow. Or then, I mean, and then why this, why let this be the second episode where someone really powerful, potentially who could have done really big or bad things on screen is 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 removed from us. So we have Helene and we hope that she does get but taken out. At the same out. time, and I then, don't know why you're bitching when you were the one who came to this season talking about who's traveling people in the cage. They were too do. many. And then it was said that people will have to die because they will not be series regulars. So this isn't a surprise. Realistically, of the people that are new, Half of them are at the bitter pill. Mo hasn't been back. So who else is left for there to be alive and kill? There are additional actors they haven't shown us yet, but it looks like Carolyn is meeting another one of these casted people. So it's it's realistic. Everyone can't make it to series four. It's I would true. prefer to have more of the lady in red, but realistically, people from the extra cast have to die. So if it's not Jamie and Bear and Red and Dread, all those people, then it has to be people like the lady in red, Dasha, and unknown revealed persons. Like Kruger, that is already dead. He appeared to die. And so he was one of the guest stars and people coming around. So hopefully they have more in store for Camille Cotton. But at the same time, they could be using her as a red herring because people expect for her to have more stuff. And then they take her out to surprise us all. So. That's funny because she has red hair. But I mean, Becky with the good aim would have been amazing. Like, I wish I could have seen just a bit more. I don't even want to muse about Becky with the 
the good end. I she feel like there's so too much efficient. going on. But there's too much going on in this mean, episode. Big up enough to abuse about Becky with the good end. She's gone. She's dead. It's over. You have to move on. All right. So my next musing has to do with Villanelle's next major kill. So we know Villanelle's going to have a next person that she murders. Who's it going to be? I think it's going to be a significant person. So of the things that we have, the photos that we have, the copious photos, Killing Eve, of what's happening in episode six, one of them is Villanelle in the room of the lady in red, and she's been handed a postcard, presumably to kill somebody. And thanks to the ridiculousness of this fandom and people looking at pictures and figuring it out and yada yada yada, they zoomed in on the photo of the postcard and then the building featured on the photo of the postcard and then figured out that the building is located in a place called Timisora, Romania. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's there. And so what that says to me, I was curious because I was looking for London, London. Is it London? Because the other main muse is like, okay, the 12 demands that Villanelle kill Eve. And then they test her commitment to see what's going on. But the lady in red did clue us in to the 12 being aware that like, okay, we should probably kill anyone but Eve. If we want to try to do something with Villanelle, because who knows what this hell is going to get up to, then that means the kills change. And for the kills to be significant, I'm essentially saying that Villanelle is going to kill Adina or Constantine depending on what's on that card. It's not possible to know the order of events, what happens if the lady in red does get done in by Villanelle. Who knows when that happens? Does that happen right after she has the meeting for shock? Does it happen later in that episode? I just hesitate to think that she's killing the lady in red because the lady in red is like, here's Constantine's number or here's Adina because Constantine has been not listening. That she would kill the lady in red for Constantine. Now, she might feel destabilized in that way if she feels, if the show tries to say, okay, Constantine is all she has left in a family thing and so she can't possibly lose him or damage that relationship so she refuses and just kills the lady in red and eventually Dasha's like, wow, bitch, what the fuck did you do? But then at the same time, Villanelle ends up in Russia slash Romania to see Constantine and Adina. And so the other side of me is like, well, it's killing Eve. So they could do the opposite of we're going to show Villanelle going to Russia and looking like she's having a bonding moment with Constantine. Her family's dead. Well, her brothers are alive, but her mother is dead. So I guess that's the extent of family because that's literally the only family she killed, (laughs) which, well, so it's very possible that they could have all of these lighthearted moments that we're used to with Villanelle, especially because we like Villanelle and Arena together from series one. And perhaps it's after that scene on the swings or the driving scene that she ultimately is like, listen, so we've been talking and it's been cool, but you know, your father's a bad man, right? And you know, bad men sometimes have to pay for what they do. (laughs) Because that would break my heart if Villanelle was being all sweet to Adina and then she was like, listen, so here it is. And I think it's possible for the fact that Villanelle is moving to a darker place. And so it would be a way to cement with the audience that she has moved into this darker phase because we wouldn't have anticipated her killing Adina. We know she likes Adina. We know that she is combative and disobeys orders when she feels like it. So if she goes through with it, it's because she's feeling away about her family, about Constantine and her future prospects. Ooh, so that's a level up from where we were like, hey, Adina, in a, in a couple of years, if you still feel sorry about killing me killing your father... I'll be waiting. Not really. It was always in my wheelhouse for Adina to get murdered. I initially was like, she will get killed or Constantine will be killed in front of her. So I don't think they bring her back for anything. But as I said before, mayhem, destruction, hurt. And so it could be this is a better way to hurt Constantine than killing him himself is to kill his daughter. And in terms of a relationship between Villanelle and Constantine, that would fracture it for 
ever. And so that's a reason for Villanelle not to do it. And that's also a reason for her to do it if she is spiraling in a particular way post-killing her mother. So I'm not sure she could still just kill the lady in red and decide to rebel and leave Constantine and Adina alive. I just find it next to impossible that anyone else is on that postcard. It could be Constantine's wife. It could be unknown 12 player. I just really really doubt it because I feel like this mission is more about a challenge to Villanelle than actually who needs to get dead. Right. And if you think about the fact that all of the main players all lost someone close to them with the exception of Constantine at this point, his L is his, he's running out of time. He needs to. I'm sorry, who has Eve lost? Oh, I was going to say that she lost Kenny and Nico almost. Well, not anymore. Ish. See, that's Ish. the reason why. I... Ish. Yes. That's, Ish. that's Carolyn lost Kenny. Kenny wasn't even in Eve's life. So I would agree that Kenny is a loss for her, but she was also living for six months without Kenny's contact. That whole time he was at least still texting his mother. At least texting. This muse worked better when Nika was dead. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, it did work better when it was dead. It did, it did. did. These damn rewrites. But yeah, that's, I feel like that is mostly it. I think there's going to be a massive murder next episode. I hope it's not Adina, but I also partly hope it is Adina. Just for the the friction it'll cause in the episode for Villanelle herself, Constantine, and the shits. Because fucking <sighs> Ellen, you've done it. You're a keeper. You've done it, girl. You're here. I just can't take this bitch seriously. I really I, fucking I'm can't. I'm glad that you also see that because I'm over here like, hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Something's going on right now. Like, should I be checking one of my accounts? Are you siphoning money? Like, what am I, like, this is the... I don't know why you think Villanelle has accounts. All I mean is... She has her money folded in things and hidden in books and stored in all kinds of stuff. I mean, I believe that. But when people talk to me that way, I think that they're they're pulling something over my eyes. It's like there's something I should be focusing on that I'm not because I'm standing here listening to you. So it's like whatever that is... Some people might also say you have a hard time accepting compliments. Oh, well. If you're <laughs> well, if you're automatically suspicious when someone says something well, nice to you, well. sometimes people are just like, "Hey, I like what you're doing." Well, it's. It, I mean, you never went like, "Hey, mom." No, that was me putting you on blast. <laughs> that was me putting you on blast because that's 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 I, a lot of people. Like, which is why it's good to hand out compliments, just to watch people fuck up. Just like be like, "Wait, what?" Just walk up to somebody. I dare you guys try. Just walk up to somebody and be like, "Hey, you know what? You're beautiful," and see what happens. Right. I love your mask. It do looks it. Really nice. Like, what do you want? Like, no, I don't got no extra masks. Oh, is that your response? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> no, I know that's your response. When Get I was younger, I'd be like, you're like, social distancing six right. feet. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to be like, hey, mom, I love you. She'd be like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I, didn't even, I didn't even ask for nothing. But yeah, and, um, you can go into your next muse because yes, that muse so is done. My next and final muse centers around Carolyn. All right, so we understand and we are going to get to see some of her this episode because she had like a slither of a clip in uh, one of the previews that she has, she now has restored to her choice resources. Uh, but will she make any discernible headway into her case now that it's a flash forward? Like, will we already get the progress or will we still see her slowly getting familiar with the, the pieces that she has? Um, has she replaced mm. her Mo? I mean... <laughs> how am i gonna talk about carolyn i think not carolyn has about. less employees not more unfortunately no i i know I we've know. just been seeing her seeing her by herself which i really do think it's like what you said about mo that he was like actually ma'am this is not the career for me where i could die like i'm not i like to do karaoke on the weekends <laughs> mm. not nurse my ptsd and in the slash four we need to see or will we see 
has is she still icing out Geraldine? Like has has you know has that friction come to like another melt uh, a boiling point or are things now fast forward and smooth now? Is she still looking to have that heart to heart? Is that bug still in the kitchen? Has she not noticed it in all this time? <sighs> In all this time, like these are things Your that muses I need. are always like this, where you're not even musing, you're just asking questions I to the am void. Asking <laughs> you don't muse. To just the ask void. Questions. <laughs> Does she get left on red by Eve? I don't know. <laughs> I have no. My musings idea. are usually more so, or they seem now more so <laughs> questions. They do because so Nico got everybody fucked up. I just. it's true it's true it's true so i'll just wrap it up to say i want to see carolyn make headway even if the bitter pill can't because she was she had all the smoke for them talking about some yeah y'all you know foosball tables and whatever so i would love to see her be the one to get to the finish line before bitter pill in regards to kenny's case in particular let them find a lead let them yeah here's hoping that eve's bitter pill staff gets x the fuck out by the end of the episode that was just a really random thing but that's something healing eve could do that eve is provoking the 12 too much and because these are arbitrary characters ultimately like they can go there's only two episodes left so who knows but yeah um, i'll I'll just might as well head to my next muse which is about nico who isn't dead he is not dead he isn't dead he's not dead he isn't dead and what can happen now that he is still alive well as i was pondering and screaming to the heavens about it i thought well okay Here's one way that it could go where I could reverse my initial Eve scenario way back when we were doing postseason snacks for series two, where I was talking about what could happen when we return. And one of my scenarios had Eve in the hospital recovering and Nico eviscerating her with his words. Mm. But I can simply just reverse it and say Nico is the one he's still in the hospital with Eve, but he's the one recovering and eviscerating Eve with his words. Whatever happens, whatever words are exchanged, I know people are like, oh, is he in a coma? Oh, is he this? And I'm like, if he's in a coma what purpose does that serve for the scene except to maybe have eve provide or give some sort of monologue to his body where she lets things go it would be a bit anticlimactic for me if they did that oh here nico's alive but Eve's talking to the corpse i don't know but they could do something like that i would prefer if he speaks to her and destroys her and they can actually have some kind of closure and realistically, Nico should be shell-shocked, traumatized, and calling for security. If he wakes up and Eve is right there, just like, hey, Nico. It's <laughs> like, ah! Guard! Guard! Wait, oh, what's got, that mean? I police! Got, police! Help! Police! Help! Police! I got you a teddy bear. Don't squeeze it. Admit it to Eve. No, you no. Were... <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Sorry. I got to reject that because Eve doesn't get Nico anything. Oh, so Lord. why would she start now getting him gifts? She is a very selfish wife. And it's about time that someone else, Nico, his damn self, just levels up his angst from the first episode we saw him in. Eve, I deserve better than you. And turns it up to a fever pitch. And maybe this actually provides an opportunity that we thought was previously lost for Eve to express her attraction to Villanelle. We know she does that. According to a reviewer, it hasn't happened yet. We thought, okay, if Nico's dead, which he's not dead, maybe it's Jamie. She says it too. But now it's back on the table that she could say it to Nico. She could say it in this upcoming episode where she finally admits her feelings for Villanelle. And we get some closure where the Nico thing is concerned that is of Eve's choice. Because the only thing that bothered me about Dasha Killing Nico was the fact that Eve didn't and potentially would feel she was robbed of some agency of deciding what fate was hers. And so by keeping Nico alive and then having it end on some other whatever, it is in her hands fully what she does. And then she can no longer blame Villanelle or the 12 or Villanelle 
by proxy because of the 12 right. for her life being decided for her. So that is a positive way for me to look at the Nico situation. That is pretty much the only way I can look at the Nico situation. And I just feel like his whole family should be at the hospital and be like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Eve Palastri? Just sign the divorce papers and get the fuck out, please. And Suzanne, we, we trust and let's hope that series three, episode six shows us at least the fact that we are somewhat on the right track here and we are not here with the clown makeup contour trying to get we're still here Nico's Nico's alive so <laughs> I don't know if the clown makeup gets any thicker than that sir I am so sorry to say I don't know if it does let me just go on Amazon and order my nose then this mini muse was just like a statement I wrote in all caps because I was seeing a lot of maternal shit on the interwebs and in the timeline about you know just we we've met Tatiana and people have feelings about Villanelle's mother issues and i've just no. never been someone that subscribes to the freudian process of psychoanalysis or things similar because it's so fucking flawed that i just i don't know where i mean i've had several jokes about mommy complexes daddy complexes and whatever and on an abstract i feel like everybody has a complex to a degree because your parents are fallible and they make mistakes how much they fuck you up is debatable but to presume that your parents have not had a hand in fucking you up is naive i would say or whatever guardian was in your fucking life Right. And so that this mini muse is like, I don't think Villanelle is looking for a goddamn replacement mother. I don't think Anna and Eve and unknown women are indicative of her obsession with replacing her mother with someone else like it. I I think she's looking for someone to take care of and whom will take care of her. Yeah, and at I the very that. base of connection, I do think that it's plausible and possible for people to have holes, voids of, of affection and love within them that perhaps are created at the root by a parent. But that doesn't mean you're looking for that exact parental love to fill the void. You're looking for just love, love and acceptance from a place. And so that's where I'm going with Villanelle. I'm not on the maternal thing. I can't get with it. When I see the memes of like, look at her type and her mom is in the meme. I almost want to fight people who do that. I'm like, what? Can we have voids created by our parents without wanting to fuck our parents? Like, is that is that possible? Psychologist, psychoanalyst, is it fucking possible? I feel like there are people who are just very lost on being able to ascribe the type of taste that Villanelle has and they're just going, oh, she's older, just throw her in the group. Then, you know, there are things like, I feel like there are particular things that appeal to Eve. So if these check boxes aren't checked, then it's not in Villanelle's wheelhouse, regardless if the age is on trend. The red hair, who says she's into red-headed women? We can't really say that. Unless you put in these collages, the woman from the museum tour along with Anna and then Eve Palastri, then, I mean, what are you doing? Or you're doing the, the two young girls. Mm, mm -hmm. Or you're doing the the girl from um in the beginning of series one. Oh, I don't want to be free? Um, I was going to say the chocolate hottie. That was in the bed with her. In the threesome. Oh, yeah. in the threesome. Right. True, true, true. So unless you're typing her like that, like you have to literally compare what... Villanelle has been entertaining. You can't just throw, here's a woman that also, but because you know she's what? into women. Here's also where I have to go with it because it's always ultimately going to be the thing in whatever academic or intellectual category we can discuss is that if you're going to talk about mommy issues and daddy issues, kind of the thing about psychology is that 
uh, gee, I don't know. Things can present different in same gendered relationships than opposite gendered relationships. And so even when you Google on the internet, mommy issues, daddy issues, you get a bunch of links from mental health sites that are framed within the heterosexual narrative. Someone with mommy issues is a man who generally thinks this. Someone with daddy issues is a woman who generally thinks this. So what then do we say when we're like, it's a woman with mommy issues? And who gets to decide what that means? Heterosexual people? Because even when Killing Eve says we source a psychologist and the psychologist has done all these studies of people in prison, I'm like, are these women in prison? Is this psychologist heterosexual or queer? Are the people that he's talking to queer? All of this data matters. matters. And so I'm just... I guess it's the term, like, because I'm aware of what the root is and I have problems with the root of it because it's very patriarchal. It's very, very, very man, very man centered that, I, of course, I'm going to have a problem that I just don't like the phrasing. I don't like the term. Mommy, mommy. She has mommy issues. Because like I say, uh, everyone could benefit from therapy. Everyone could benefit from figuring themselves out a little bit better, I think. And so, well, there's that. So ultimately, my issue lies at the base of some of these tenets of psychology and psychiatry and how people just lean on them without realizing the gender and sexuality bias that exists within some of these medical texts. That it's just, you know, it's just, even when we're talking about like who decides, In the same way that medicine has had and did have a great deal of bias against, say, black people because of racism. Mm -hmm. Even that show, I can't remember the name of it, but that was talking about um, sex health and the evolution of, I don't want to say sex education, but just the understanding of, of sexuality, what was going on. I feel like it was a Showtime show, but it touched on how racist ideologies and ideas beliefs held about black people determine the kind of medical care they received or didn't receive. And these assumptions that, oh, black people are inherently more sexual or they're inherently more violent. And so I think we can assume that the same thing must also be true inherently of psychiatry. And when we're talking about queer relationships or queer anything, that inherently there's some built-in motherfucking homophobia. And I feel like we just got to keep doing the due diligence and holding people accountable to make sure that we are unpacking and taking a a good look at what's going on here. This puts me in the mindset of something that I was looking at um, on uh, Facebook where people were talking about improper uh, diagnoses of African-American persons with low levels of vitamin D because they were not testing at a standard that was appropriate for. Oh, sure. Because vitamin D is absorbed differently yes. by different ethnic backgrounds. This is true. I mean, there's so much inherent bias. We can even go down to technology and technology, not always <sighs> knowing how to deal with melanin. Ask any person who's worked in cinematography. And when it comes to photographing various complexions or filming various complexions, there's things scientifically that simply were not included. Included. <laughs> So I guess we should just it. be thankful that someone wanted to get the different textures and tones of tree bark <laughs> that certain complexions can even register on certain Polaroids today. So th- thank you, nature lovers. Thank I you, guess. Wood. <laughs> right. For existing nature. We love you. No. <laughs> and of course, we've literally talked for hours on the Gentleman Jack Crack podcast about Ann Lister and the Georgian yes. era and all of the lesbian activity that went undetected because <laughs> men thought that they understood a thing or two about women like, and biology. Do ladies sex. even do that? They, they had no clue. There no, was they were no like, word just, for it. They were just gals being pals. Just gals being pals. Like that one scene in Dickinson where that dude's like, how do you two even fit in that small bed? What, what are you ladies doing in there? What's going on? <laughs> 
So you just can't rely on a dude to know really anything that's going on with women just as the first resource, let alone people like Freud who put way too much emphasis on the penis amongst other things. It's not the end all nor the be all. No. Ultimately, I just feel like I was talking to a friend one time. I just feel like you got to question all things ever written down by a het man. Like, just just ask yourself the question. doesn't matter what it's about. could be about botany. Be like, but, 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 is this the truth? <laughs> Find, hopefully, someone who can co-sign that. And if you can, a woman. And if you can, you. diversify the ethnicities a little bit. And take a look at, try to, try to crowdsource, pull all the opinions, and then come to an informed decision on your fucking own. And actually, can we talk a little bit for a second about Tatiana's hair before we totally transition out of this um, discussion of mommy issues? Because, holy shit. I know there was like that deleted scene where Villanelle said it's not that bad or something like that. Presumably referring to her mom's hair being thin from right. what she said. Like, other, it didn't seem like show. it was overly thin for like her demographic. You know what I mean? I didn't But see... it was lacking body. No. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, it was not right. It was not um it wasn't prominent hair. She didn't enter rooms with her hair. It, it wasn't her <laughs> it wasn't her saving grace. I, I believe that would be um, her mind, even if it does. She's fighting against herself in some instances. But, I mean, I guess maybe it was due to the narrative she was trying to portray. I mean, mousy wife. Like, maybe she wasn't looking to oh, be. Oh, you think that was, you don't think her struggle locks were just because that's her lot in life, but that she was trying to I <laughs> play mean, into a If a you role? think about all the interesting photos that were on the wall when Velnell first walked in in the beginning of the episode, the hair didn't look so limp. Like, maybe it's product. I was saying that they deleted the scene because it actually was um, thin, shitty hair. And Villanelle was just trying to be nice, trying to connect to Tatiana. And of course, Tatiana did not take that olive branch from Villanelle about her hair. I just feel like intentionally the actress playing Tatiana always looked like she just got out of bed or just like it wasn't it didn't look as though brushing was something that she did on right. a regular basis that she cared about. Like she just woke up one day and realized she was not a spring chicken and just I'm already locked into a marriage. Who do I need to be beautiful for? I can just be myself. I can be depressed and I'll have a husband who will support me through my depression and he won't expect anything more out of out of me more or less. And then she'll play that game if you're of the mindset but she was, that she... But the way that Tatiana was talking like her and her man, Villanelle's daddy, were everything the perfect couple that were ruined by Villanelle's presence so right and once she lost the perfection once she was forever tainted wait then... so you're suggesting her hair only got thin and <laughs> shitty after the demise of I mean the husband? why I mean after you lose the best thing that's happened to you why would you what are you trying to reclaim see I'm just gonna say I'm gonna default back to my Lady Gaga meme Baby, she was born that way. <laughs> because what? I don't know. Why would anyone intentionally make their mane any less bright I, and voluptuous? Depending on if you're not getting professional help and you don't want to, I don't know, uh, deliver yourself from your torment, you can just choose to be in this downward cycle until you feel that you hit rock bottom. Like, even Eve, her stinky hair, but it's full I hair. I am impressed that you think Tatiana hair. has a rock bottom. I don't think bitches like her have a bottom. Oof. I think they are just in the abyss. They are in that next plane that is underneath the ocean floor. <laughs> you know, and there's no there's no coming up for air. It's just where she is, where she lives, where she breathes. That's that's scary for her. But, you know, they say... I think it's scary for everyone else around her. That's why I'm trying to say Tatiana's a fucking villain. 
She's a villain. With how she treated villain now, how can she not be a villain? I mean, we both still believe that they were lying and potentially gaslighting each other, but oh, a villain be. she is. <laughs> She's a fucking villain. Even the husband's like, you know, she cries herself to sleep every night. Well, if you're that depressed, usually one of the earlier things to go is your self-care routine. So maybe... But Villanelle had this impression in order to say it to other people before she oh, was kicked out true. or abandoned at the orphanage. So that suggests that her mom's hair has been like this the entire time if it didn't start after she was sent to the orphanage then maybe it started after she started losing her ideal man's attention to i can't villanelle. deal with you you what? what her ideal man's attention to villanelle yes Lord. the person who she was... but why are you connecting her hair to a man i guess that's where i'm having a problem why is her uh... hair connected to her man versus who she is as a person which i think is where i was trying to go about hair and potential symbolism that can be had with well, Villanelle. I mean, and there's Eve not much of a narrative of like, you know, where boy met girl and it was obvious they were in love, they had babies. Like, no one knows what that motivation is because they didn't go that far into the, the history. Will Laura go there? Will she need to go there? That That's its own question. Go uh, where? Go to boy meeting girl, meaning. Um, Tatiana meeting. Wait a minute, but we don't need to see all that. And Tatiana's Which is what dead. we're trying to say. Tatiana's dead. So it's hard to muse on the motivations of a Tatiana meeting Villanelle's father and what attracted them I to each other. I don't even know why and... you're musing on that head story to begin with. You're supposed to be musing on her hair, not but her man, again, but you keep going back right. to the man. So I don't, why? It's hard for me to give her an agency without seeing it in its context. Well, whatever. I'm just going to say where I'm concerned, I think it's interesting because even going back to the whole mommy issues thing is that it seems to me that Tatiana is the exact opposite of what Villanelle is into, what she finds attractive, period, all the way down to her hair and the fact that it is just flat, mostly <laughs> lifeless, and just there. And maybe it's like a representation of how <laughs> Villanelle feels about so her, her mother, flat and lifeless. Right. Even if you go back to the actress who played Anna, Susan Lynch, she has a very big head of hair. And so theoretically, one could say potentially that Villanelle lines the best parts of femininity with a big head of hair, a mane of hair. That's not exactly an unusual juxtaposition. It happens all the way back in the Bible with Samson and the Jezebel that convinces him to cut his hair to Lila. That it has something to do potentially with strength, with some people might say femininity, but I would say that's the patriarchy. But still, it has its roots in femininity for what society has constructed for women. And so I was looking for like a deeper jaunt than what you were stuck on, which is fixating on her man. So whatever. If that's all you have for me, maybe one of you guys listening have some opinions on Tatiana's hair. What have you thought about it? Do you think that it is what you expected? Is it like that sketch that Villanelle was shown? by the therapist in series one when Constantine had her checked in. What are all the thoughts and feelings on Villanelle's mother's hair? But it seems to me that it's just another example of what Villanelle despises. But her mother's womanhood. Wow, you think she had that job for her mom even when she was young? Like, you and your sad hair. Maybe. Like <laughs> she looks like she has her grandma's hair. That's what Papi Chula with the bang said. The first thing he said when he came in was, wow, you look just like grandma. And that can happen. That's actually a thing that is my case. When my mom ran into a, a friend that she hadn't seen since like her high school days after they moved to Germany and she pulled out her phone to be like, oh, here are my kids grown. And she showed her the picture of me. And the first thing the woman said was like, oh, my gosh, looks just like Carmen. 
my grandma. And she hadn't mm. seen my grandmother's passed away. She is unfortunately no longer on this planet. And that tickled my mom, especially just because I'm the only sibling that really remembers my abuelita. So there's no memories there for my brother who wasn't around, let alone my sister. And so I think that's something that is relevant, that is interesting, that Papi Chulo was like, oh, my God. So you assume that it's like the same thing, that he saw her and immediately he saw his grandmother. Right. And that sort of makes me curious about Tatiana's relationship with her mother. What was that? And was it an inversion of, of kind of what we see with Villanelle and, and her mom? Or couldn't we also maybe guess it was similarly damaged and irreparable? And if that was the case, what was the vibe Ooh. that Papi Chulo and the rest of the family observed between Tatiana and her mother, especially because Villanelle seems to resemble her instead? So I don't know, just thoughts. All right. So was that is that was that one of your musings? Is that it was just an adjunct thing that just randomly popped into my mind as we were discussing the mommy dearest mommy problems mm. issue thing, especially because the hair the hair has been a thing. The hair has been a focal point, and so who knows what else could be revealed about it? But definitely Eve and Anna are the most opposite with their mains from Tatiana versus the other women we've seen on the show. Y'all heard it here. Season four, we're getting Villanelle's grandma. Oh, come on. Okay, well, can we at least get a picture? <laughs> can we at least get a picture? <sighs> All right, on to the next musing. So I know you're out of musing, so let me just go to my next. This musing has to do with Jody's fourth wall break in the final scene. Which, by the way, was her first scene, evidently. We found out in one of the articles and interviews that have come out with Jodie Comer in the past week that of the Pinner scenes, that was the first she shot, which, you know, <laughs> excellent. It actually reminds me of the stories of Naomi Harris from Moonlight, because Moonlight had a very strict, tight, short schedule to shoot on. And for anyone who's seen that film, you know, she plays the mother. She's a drug addict. She has problems. But her scenes are very emotional yeah, they're, and gut-wrenching. Yes. And so it's you would think that normally before someone can call action and for you to deliver what she did, that you would have a bunch of prep time. But evidently that bitch is just in the bag and able to go when she needs to go. And it seems like Jody is a similar type of thespian because that was her first scene. And she was like, I don't need to shoot in chronological order. I can do this right fucking now. Roll camera. Watch these tears. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, fourth wall breaks are very interesting. And I suppose people can debate about what purpose they serve, especially if it's a comedy versus a drama. But this has happened with Villanelle in this scene. Why do you think? What do you think artistically it served or potentially to the audience? What was, what was I forget the director's name, Shannon? Uh, because of how it happens, I just feel like it was just a Villanelle just looking outward and onward, beyond beyond wherever a lens could have captured her eye. So I don't think that there would have been like a degree, an angle where she would not have put her eye even for a brief second. So, so you're saying it's accidental. It's not an intentional fourth wall break my by Jodie Comer? Okay. Yeah, I would take that as an accidental. Versus the first scene when she knocks over the girl's ice cream and she's walking out of the shop. It's like, oh, that felt less accidental. that's not accidental. a fourth wall break. That's not a fourth wall break. Okay, well, I will, I I mean, we really don't know. All I've seen and heard of Jodie Comer shooting this scene 
is to the extent of it was her first scene. She was listening to that song by Elton John that the family was dancing to. And that was how we set the stage for it. So she was listening to Crocodile Rock and showing her fucking acting skills to the world. While I would make space for it potentially being accidental because things like that can happen. And then the director or editors can decide to leave it in for whatever reason. It could be because it's a one take shot. And Jody was knit in that shot. And they were like, well, she looked at the camera and we don't mind it. Or the third option, which is that it is purposeful and it is left there. Now, I don't know that someone like a Jodie Comer with how she acts would need direction from a director to be like, and look into the camera for a second. But it's also possible that that is exactly what happened. There's, there are directors who are like, every single period and sentence on this page you're going to hit, and other directors who let actors sort of feel it and see what happens. So I don't know. But I think what is interesting is what fourth wall breaks because it was left in. And that's intentional. It's kind of like, you know, Gentleman Jack, Sophie broke the fourth wall just for fun and they left it in there for good. So generally when you break the fourth wall, it is to, well, in drama, I would say it is to let the audience know that whatever happened is authentic. It is to be reliably believed. Given how many people have written about Villanelle, being a psychopath, having no feelings, oh, she she was likable this episode or whatever, different phrases we've seen that we've been like, wow, that's ridiculous. That it could have been a little uh, give from the show or from Jodi herself to say like, hey, this is really real. This is beyond the artifice of Villanelle because this is to me looking to you directly, audience member to say, I am not okay. I am unhinged. I am different. I am forever changed. And it's left to the audience to judge what's happening with Villanelle. I mean, it's a technique I like. Um, one of my favorite directors, Kurosawa, he's done it in his film, sometimes more successfully than others. And so it's just something there that is usually meant to assure the audience that this part is really real or here is the actual truth. So that's it. That's my muse. As far as that's concerned, I thought it was a very interesting moment to do it. As far as I know, Killing Eve has not had a single fourth wall break. So to have it here is intriguing for Villanelle, especially because, well, we don't know where they're going to take her, but I have a feeling it's just going to be mad different than what we've seen so far. Well, episode five is usually a big episode in the run of episodes in a series so for us to just i guess boil it down and understand that things are gonna not be the same afterward if they needed the note of a fourth wall break if that was the intention then i feel like it will come across um i just don't want people to offset what is real when it comes to villanelle by what we have experienced solely on this episode versus any other time she's been in some sort of emotional uh, distress. But yeah, no, masterful work, uh, an, an impactful scene to be sure. And the way they scored it also put this weight to it. And I've seen some Oh, like actually, that's something I know um, that Suzanne or some article said that they, Suzanne was unsure if in the edit they would use the song, the Elton John song, or some other editing trick. So I guess that was up to other people's decisions to handle, but she liked the way it came out. And I did too. It's better to have it mysterious as to what she's listening to and goes back to the isolatory thing with the senses that says it doesn't really matter what she's listening to because it has nothing to do with the music. But I like knowing it was Crocodile Rock because that's a bit of a bookend to her trying to listen to this song that theoretically, just a day before, she had this moment, a kind of moment she's maybe been waiting for her whole life to just feel like she fits in 
with a misfit group of people. And we know she feels that sort of connection to Eve and that she feels like it's entirely rare. So here she was trying to be like, this is my tribe. This is my people. This is supposed to be the place where I definitely, definitely fit in. Let me try to fill it, revel in it. And I really do think she enjoyed that moment. And there she was trying to get back to that space. And it was impossible for her. And that's even more tragic if we go with the idea that Villanelle has only recently discovered how to let music into her life and have it affect her. And here she is desperately. And it's so weird because I saw a thing on Twitter that was comparing Jody's like tremble. And they were like, sorry, I hate to say this, but it looks like Villanelle's flicking her bean in this gif. And I was like, oh my God. But then it gave me, yeah, it's. People are. People are ridiculous. <laughs> but then I was like, oh my God, it's true. Because it just took me back to one of my favorite masturbation scenes in film for drama and that's Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive because she is distraught she is fucked up she's doing something that's supposed to be giving her pleasure and yet everything about her face says I am in pain and I am hurting and that is Villanelle she's supposed to be getting pleasure from wearing this outfit from listening to this music just like letting it all go from killing her mother and yet none of it none of it none of it is there it is all gone no pleasure is to be had and that's the end of that muse that is a pull but yeah Wow. A pole? What does that mean? A pole? Mulholland Drive? Oh, my Mulholland Drive is a pole. <laughs> I feel like I referenced her angry masturbation so many times now, but... No, I think that's the other show. <laughs> oh, Gentleman Jack Crack? Uh, there are a lot of podcast hours out there. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, this is a pretty short muse I can hit you with. Uh, Villanelle and Eve, will they hug this season? I mean, if one of the episodes is literally tired, titled... um. Are you leading or am I? Uh, that's going to be, that sounds like we're in hug territory. That sounds like we're in. This is a yes or no muse. <sighs> so instead of asking questions to <laughs> no one, can you hit us with an answer to a muse? You're, I feel like you're trying to avoid corrections and that's not, that's not, that's you need to give an answer. So. Um, I would like to see them hug. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Okay, I was about to say, would you like to see them hug or uh, yes. will they hug, they sir? Okay, yes, yes, hug. okay, good. I'm actually with you on that because I desperately want it. So my clown makeup contour is on for this muse because they need it. They deserve it. They should have it. And actually, what I think is interesting is the hugs or hug attempts we've seen have been really rare. The only hug that we've seen Villanelle give to someone and it was aggressive and kind of scary at first was to Constantine oh, yeah. in series two when she chases him down and she's so thrilled to see him. But otherwise we see her receiving hugs and being awkward as fuck, particularly in this current series we're in. She gets hugged by Kruger's wife and she's like, oh, okay. Even still though, she can get a hand around as she's perplexed. Unlike when Tatiana hugs her and she's like, bitch, no, you need to let go of me right now. And then of course, in the same episode, when Papa Chulo with the bangs puts his head on her shoulder and she's like, yo, what is this? And he's like, oh, we're not, we're having a moment, sis. And she's like, ah, ah, it's too close. That being said, as I said in the recap, she's awkward. She doesn't get it. She's not used to it. It's not something she has. It's not something she doles out, really. That the only other time I can think of besides Constantine is season finale of series two. Yes. When Eve is in shock after her first murder and, well, Villanelle was just baptized right. in blood and right. oaths right. by watching her girl do right. what she did. And she is trying to usher Eve down the stairs yes. after she undressed her so delicately. Yes. And Villanelle has that adorable smile as she looks up and she's like, look at his dead body. Look at my girlfriend. <laughs> I love it. So I'm pretty sure we've never seen a happier Villanelle or happier embrace 
involving Villanelle besides what preceded the ruins moment. And so I would love for another bookended moment, if we're going to go with these themes of seeing stuff, that we get a hug between our girls. That is like with feeling, you know? Villanelle's not being awkward, or maybe she is being awkward, but it's awkward acceptance of God. This is what I really wanted. And again, if there's anyone who is really deserving and needing of a hug right now, it's Villanelle because Nico's it's alive. True. Nico's it's alive. True. Eve needs no hugs. Okay, she needs no hugs. Zero hugs, quite frankly. She doesn't even blame herself. That's that's the part that's killing me. Oh, God. <laughs> Eve doesn't blame herself. Well, I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> But it does fit Dark Eve Rising for her to blame Nico. She's like, well, you existing, Nico, is the real reason why this has happened. So blame you. As not really a muse, per se. It's just something I wanted to bring up. A parallel that I noticed since Killing Eve seems to be all about the parallels this season. And it had to do with one of the final scenes with Villanelle and Tatiana. Where it becomes evident that Villanelle just wants to be taken care of and loved by someone, preferably a woman. It has to do with when Villanelle's in the kitchen and she asks her mom to wipe her face. And she's like, mommy, can you please? And she's like, no, you're not a child. She's like, yeah, but I just, can you please do it? And it brought me back. Brought me back to a certain someone who wasn't so special, but uh. And that was Anna in series one. When Villanelle comes in looking a hot mess after Constantine hit her with a log, she is bloodied and bruised and doesn't seem to care what people think when they see her. And Anna is able to disarm her emotionally in a moment when she's like but can I just um can you just let me clean your face could I just clean your face and I think Villanelle says something like well it does hurt or no she says it does sting a bit and it's interesting if I had to guess Suzanne had this scene in mind when she wrote that parallel with Tatiana I don't know all that she intends to imply with it but I found it interesting that Villanelle obviously needs affection which a lot of humans alive do she needs to feel loved and cared for she would prefer for that to come in the package of a woman it seems and they're trying to root it all back to the fact that she didn't get it from her mom but the reason why I'm like sort of like mm, are you saying her dad hugged her because Villanelle doesn't look like she got hugs from her dad either are you saying her dad said I love you because it doesn't doesn't sound like her dad did those things and so I'm just trying to figure out if they're trying to suggest that one parent was good and one parent was bad or were they both bad and Villanelle has chosen to fixate on her mom as the worst because they are alike so I don't know if you guys have thoughts and opinions and theories and queries send them the fuck in please yeah because I don't see either of them actually being an angel but yeah in her mind she she chose whatever it was where she was like this I can tolerate and maybe it is solely because they're alike that she was like no not you you're not my I'm not no this isn't no, this doesn't work because you 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 need to have, but I need to have, and we can't both have at the same time. So you maybe if Villanelle had more queer me. friends or really any queer friends, <laughs> she would know that some families are made. Villanelle, don't force your toxic family onto yourself because that's not doesn't usually work. Right. Usually, right? Puzzle it, pieces that don't fit together. They say the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Just made me think of the Sandlot. <laughs> Cut her hands and stick them together. <laughs> Your blood, my blood, our, our blood. blood. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, all of that. Okay, before I get to my crown jewel ending muse, where I guess I'm building on what my crown jewel muse was last week. I guess this is like a, a mini, mini muse observation about Villanelle and her relationship with children. Now, what do you think about it? Because now we have seen Villanelle with multiple children. And she has dealt with them in a particular way. Do you have any thoughts, perhaps, on what the show is trying to say or do or reveal when they show Villanelle with a child? Well, I'm wondering if they want us to just understand that 
Well, if you start with Gabriel, we can't because Irina was first. But if we start with, even if we start with the girl first, and she didn't like the way how she felt like the girl had more on her when she was practicing her smile and her faces, knocks the ice cream over. But afterwards, we get Irina, Irina and it's like just understanding ultimately why she's the way she is, seeing that she has a parent that will fight for her, that will choose mm. her. And it's like, well, I mean, it's she's trying to, I guess, wrestle with how these children are in these places getting this treatment and why it's not the same for her. And that was why she wanted to go back and find her family and see if she was cute as a baby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully, maybe she thought that she was going to be able to see her father when she went back and there was no father there, which is why she was staring at all those pictures like, well, this woman is consistent, but where, who's this man? This man is not, I'm not, this isn't jogging me. This isn't bringing me joy or any kind of energy. So from the moment she noticed there was no father, she was like, oh, this is a dud. This is a dub. I'm over this. Uh, At the party when she was dressed as a clown, she screamed at all the kids. Um, She told the one girl to get used. I want two balloons. What did she say? Something like life ain't fair. Like life is shit. Well, yeah, that's kind of the heart of my muse is that Villanelle is usually a bit of a liar to a lot of people. She creates stories and embellishes and things and it's normal for her. But I feel like the one time we don't see Villanelle lie at all where it's just ridiculously blunt, is to children. And so I'm not sure what that means. I think there's two things they've potentially revealed to me about Villanelle. She is jealous of them. Not only do they confound her sometimes, but there's envy, there's jealousy, because they're at a stage of, you know, naiveness where, well, it's fundamentally impossible. Right. When you get past an older stage, people sort of think that everything you do is forgivable, unless you're Tatiana. And theoretically, you're at your most lovable unless you're a derelict. And that's me referring to all the abusive parents in the world. There's way too many of them. But you're right. Even with like the gymnast girls that were getting yelled at by Dasha, she was like, look, you just got to say this to her and she will be knocked off her center. And it's like... That's what I mean. Like she, because she is stunted emotionally in a certain way of feeling like she didn't get to have something, experience something in her childhood. She not only is still childlike and immature in many ways when it comes to her personality, she has this connection to children, no matter how deadly she is, where you're like, don't put her on the children. And she did snap poor Gabriel's neck, but her transparency with them and giving them the unmitigated truth as she sees it is, I think, a certain type of respect that only exists for children with Villanelle. And yeah, I guess understanding the kind of situation that uh, Gabriel was in, lost the whole family really in this crash and thought he would never recover as far as his looks. He felt like he didn't have much to live for. He basically said that he would have, he wished he was dead. So she mission granted what she did. Yeah, I think that was her attempt at empathy. But that's what I mean, that we've not seen it, that these types of reactions or empathetic gestures from Villanelle haven't generally existed to grown humans. They've only existed children. And certainly with the bin baby, it's another act of empathy because she could have tossed that bin baby. She could have done all kinds of weird stuff with the bin baby, but she just kept it, dressed it, (laughs) and had it around for her entertainment. And she was so perplexed by it. And I think she was so especially perplexed because it was the youngest one she was around. She was like, look at you, you can't even form sentences. And still, I am somehow fascinated by your little face. What the fuck? Wait, don't make noise. No, don't do that. Don't cry. (laughs) But I think it's interesting. And outside of just being like perfectly adorable and how she deals with children, unless, of course, she's murdering them like Paul Gabriel, it does seem to reveal a version of, of envy that she potentially feels for 
the lives of these kids, especially if they're perceived to be loved and potentially spoiled. Like Adina, where she's like, ah, you're annoying. You loved child, you. God damn it. She's like, where are the orphanage babies like me? Neglected and unloved. Even if you think back to like the very first kill where she was talking with the grandson and was like, oh, you want to help pay, pay a trick on the old man? And then she told him basically that to not come out of the bathroom or she would eat him. Well, I, I guess that's she the might closest. Right. We don't I, know. Right. We, we don't, don't know. know that that's not a lie. We don't know. Yeah, it was her version of empathy because he still came out and was totally traumatized by his dead pappy, his dead granddaddy that he saw there. But she did have a piece there. She's like, well, don't look at the murder. Go over there. Do that. And she could have killed his ass. <laughs> she could have just murdered marked him after the grandfather was coming upstairs. So it's interesting that she has like a modicum, modicum of space for children. Well, here's hoping that side of her doesn't really change in episode seven, but maybe to signify the fact that she's growing in the direction, they may modify that in episode seven or like in episode eight. Oh, you know what I've seen going around? Oh, I see what you think is, you know how Villanelle's mother, Tatiana, grabs her face rudely. In their last scene together, she, like, grabs her by the mouth. Yes. I've seen some people on the timeline um, talking about potentially physical abuse being a thing that was problematic for Villanelle, as it would be for anyone who was receiving physical abuse and unwanted contact. But they connected it back to, I think it was a tweet I saw, the actually first kill in series one with the Italian bambino that we were just talking about. Oh, right. Where he touches her face and she's like, bitch, I, you should really ask before you touch a hoe. Mm-hmm, you might mm-hmm. lose your fingers. And we know what I think about Bill right, in that okay. first season. I'm not surprised that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, let me just show you how many times women don't like when you touch them. I think they were essentially musing that, like, you know, touch and consent have been important to her because it is rooted in this thing. And without getting too specific, I'll just say that I believe that to be true. And oh, I would say great. that I have a similar thing that if someone is violent with you or touches you without your permission in a violent way when you're young and that becomes a thing that you simply will not allow it when you're older. And that's that's me. That's me. It's simply not allowed. And you know, like, y'all, all you got to see me at was one time in the club and watch a man do something. You will be like, I didn't know Candace had the ability to lay a bitch down. And you too can become a misandrist as you know, although some are born, others <laughs> others are forged. They are forged. Forged in, in the fires. Yes. The fires of the hubris of, of, of male, male authority. Yes. Because I, I can only be perfectly honest without going into all my deep shit. I'll just say, you know, male authority. And if dudes try to tell you what to do and they can try, they try to back it up with some sort of violent gesture. There are some people who are like, you know what? I'm having an extreme reaction to this and this is what it is. And that is mine. Extreme aversion to male authority figures is the reality of Candace. Woo, that was a meaty muse. Meaty, meaty muse. Not as meaty as my last muse, though, which is my meatiest, my meatiest muse. Well, sometimes inspiration strikes at like one in the morning. Like you can't control with the inspiration is rough it was more like me trying to bargain and reason with myself about nico being alive and these new villanelle episodes and what does it all mean what could it all mean what is happening potentially like you you came in muse less in crisis about darky rising and not knowing what was going to happen and so I guess this final muse it really has to do with our next villanelle and eve meetup and what could happen what might happen what might be the ending result and so this question i posed to myself was like what if dark eve rising 
or rather I should say, what if Dark Eve is the one to pull Manic Villanelle from the brink? You know, because it looks like Villanelle is, of course, having a total crisis of self. And how can that lead to anything but self-destruction? Like, if you leave Villanelle the way she is now, she ends up dead in a month or two. And it would be from the 12 or by her own hand. And when I say by her own hand, I, I essentially still mean the 12. That she would be being so reckless and acting so dangerously that it would lead to her demise. And naturally, part of her focus, her faculties would be off because it looks like the bitch is on drugs and she is entirely sober. So it's like, girl, if you're looking this messed up and you haven't even had um, hallucinogens or anything else to fuck you up, it is not a good fucking sign. So because I have my darkie rising, I'm still in belief right now that that is what Suzanne and the rest are doing I still then have to wonder about like okay how can my love speech happen what can be said what is the name of that uh, the episode that has monster in it I think it's called beautiful monster it's like killing eve episode seven wait now I'm, so you talk about when you say episode beautiful titles oh I'm correct I just googled yeah so episode seven of series three is entitled beautiful monster and so what's interesting about that is the term monster and how it's been used generally in this series to Villanelle. It's possible Nico, if he has words, may utter monster to Eve, which I would love. But what's interesting is because it plays into my own theories about the darkness of Villanelle and Eve and how they see it within each other, that it is something positive, something bright. I feel like this really gets into the realm of fan fiction. But I was like, beautiful monster, beautiful monster. Usually someone says it. Someone says beautiful monster. It is possible that the beautiful monster statement is made in reference to Villanelle's ridiculous outfit that maybe she has on in episode seven because I've theorized I think that's where that outfit is and is in episode seven. Oscar the Grouch, it's there. Someone could say it, maybe it's Dasha. But if I want to be extra ridiculous, fully in my clown makeup, I say, well, what if, what if, what if Eve could say it? What if Eve could say beautiful monster? And then I tried to be like, okay, Candace, well, if that's the case, if you're going to be that ridiculous about it, why, how, how could Eve come around to saying this? And so I imagined a whole scenario where for some reason Villanelle and Eve cross paths and Villanelle is obviously unhinged <laughs> the way that she is. And Eve would pick it up immediately because she has studied this woman inside and out. And I just feel like she would feel the vibes from the one brain cell that they share and be like, okay, something's not right. And I kind of think it's possible that Villanelle could just blurt out what she did. Like if Eve says a one-off comment about like, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? And Villanelle's like, oh, you know, killed my mother because she was a monster like me. So she had to go. Something that is both self-deprecating and revealing to show a different type of villain now that Eve would be like, that's weird. Because it's different from how you normally talk to me. You just confessed some really intense shit. And okay, it's out here. And part of me is like Villanelle would do that because she ultimately wants to feel close to Eve. She ultimately wants for that stuff to happen. And it could be a way to breach the whole thing of like, what happened? Like, just spit it out. Like with Constantine, here it is. I killed my mother. <laughs> it's fine. She was a monster like me. I'm cool. Psst. There could only be one of us. There could only be one. Like Highlander. There can only be one. Austin <laughs> Kova, murderous hoe on the planet. And that would give Eve some insight. I would just love that if Villanelle refers to herself as a monster, that someone, preferably Eve, is like, yeah, but a beautiful monster. To say, but I accept this, but I take this, but I want it. Because that's my other muse, is that Villanelle has always been a desired thing by Eve. Eve always wanted Oksana. Let me correct that. Eve has always wanted Oksana, even though Oksana is now Villanelle. Villanelle is the pomp and circumstance. Villanelle is the icing. Villanelle is pretty frills and the plays on top of it. But Oksana is the killer. 
Oksana got the issues. Oksana got the jaunt. And so my whole thing is that Eve okay. is into Oksana. That Villanelle is running around with this idea that nobody loves the monster. Nobody has ever loved the monster. No one will ever love the monster. That could be where she is. That could send her spinning. Because theoretically, there is no acceptance from Eve. Like she had the kiss, but she's like, I, I don't even know how to deal with this. And so if we can get a version of Eve hopefully through some alliteration somehow or some sort of assuaging of Villanelle that says, but I, I like this. She will be the first person. She's already been the first person Aww. to say, you don't cause me to recoil. You don't cause me to be disgusted by what is your natural inclination. And if Villanelle could believe it, she might be able to be rescued from the break of her emotional crises where she will absolutely self-destruct if someone doesn't pull it from the edge. And I just don't see how, how Constantine can do it. I don't see how he can successfully pull this bitch all the way from the edge. Like he might try to tie a string to her, but it's going to be a little thin string, a little thin thread. And Eve Palastri is the actual rope that can anchor this bitch to something that won't result in her getting dead. Especially if she kills Ellen. I don't want her to do it, but if she does, she is heading to the bad place so fucking no, fast. Agreed. She needs someone on her fucking side who actually wants to protect her. I don't know. I, I know that people are full of their doubts they're full of their confusions where eve and villanelle go or what they're gonna do oh some eternal oh they're gonna go down a notch oh they're even gonna get together i just don't see how it cannot be what we say because then what would be the point of the show eve goes back to normal does eve find a job does she become a cop is she back out here saving lives what is villanelle gonna do where is she gonna go as this guy looking in the window yeah move it up bro <laughs> <laughs> no he literally was like um, he saw me looking at him and he was like Lord, and he's still there, Lord. The love speech has to happen. It has to be in a place. And if there's some sort of something that happens in episode seven, that is the beginning of Eve showing that I will take you as you are. Because I'm good with this. I'm okay with this. In fact, I've known that this is you the entire time and I still haven't been able to stay away from you. So what does that say about me, Villanelle? What does that say about Eve Palastri? A lot. That we are both monsters together. Now let's go to the boudoir. No, that's just in my, in my version. But yeah, I, I, that's, that's my thing, that Eve is only recoiled from Villanelle due to manipulation and lies and fuckery and games, but not because of the kills that uh, to Martin, she's like, this is amazing. This is the best gun I've ever seen. This is so fucking cool. Well, yeah, I could see that, especially with the way she saw the gun at the end of episode, uh, series two and was like, okay, wait, I'm going to need all of y'all, all of y'all to stop pulling me in directions and let me do something for myself. So if we could get her just acting on her own and just respecting the fact that, you know what, Villanos had a pretty hard week or whatever this flash forward is, episode six, episode seven, give her, give us some space. I don't know. Offer to make her noodles, something, something where do you feel like talking about it? I don't want to talk about it. And it's like, well, I don't want to talk about it. Like something to just start the conversation. I'm going to have to say it needs to be faster than that because we got so few minutes I in know, Killing Eve, which is why I'm looking for blurbs, like, like just blurt this out. Because if we go with the vague shit, I, we don't have time for vague. We have time for getting to the fucking point. For instance, if Villanelle gets to ask Eve once she knows that Eve saw her husband get impaled i hope there's a question of like well what did you feel when you first saw it if she's like relief <laughs> like that'll just Ooh. feed in like that's the dark eve rising i want to and here's the thing actually here's the thing here's the thing i don't even know if i said in the revelations but it'll be an amuse i need more eve development i need more eve development i need more eve development because do you want to know do you want to know what is still up in the air that they need to answer in these final three episodes or i'm gonna lose my shit i've been very calm about it but i'm gonna lose my shit and that is what 
does Eve feel and think about killing goddamn Raymond? We have seen nothing. There has been no words. There have been no exposition. Where is it? You fuckers. So this is literally, this is it. This is, this is the muse where this is concerned. The only way I can get over this, the only way that I can get over the lack of development where that's concerned for Eve Palastri this series is if they give it through exposition to Villanelle in the final three episodes. Probably final two, because I don't think they'll see each other in episode six. That's the only way that literally it's Eve saying, Villanelle, I did this. Or Villanelle saying, it's been six months. How do you feel? What do you think about it? And if you I'm like, good, I want to do it again. I don't think they'd write that line. But to that, that sentiment, I enjoyed it. I think about it a lot. And it's not because it scares me. It's not because I'm traumatized. It's because I enjoyed it. Now, that would be fun. Ooh, I know. Um, I'm a dark bitch. But that's because I want Dark Eve rising right now. So I'm going fully into the darkness of what I what would shock me, what would shock potentially audiences, just have Eve flip a shit. And so, yeah, that's. I just wanted to mention that in case anyone thought that I was good with the lack of development on what happened to Eve Palastri. If anyone thought I was good off the fact that we still don't know who saved that hell. We still don't know what her life was like in the ICU. We have no exposition, no talking to anyone outside of the sentences said to Kenny. They said, Candace! Fuck what you heard. So um, can I start my campaign right now for a Sandra O oh standalone episode in series four? If this is what we doing, because I need more stuff. Gosh. No, agreed. And right. Like, why would we not be able to revisit this side of Eve Palastri at all? Yes, we she- It's literally... You, we. The murder baptism was shot so well. It was carried out and acted so well. And we are so desperate to know what Eve felt like when she calmed the fuck down. What did Eve feel like when she woke the fuck up? What was her first fucking thought? Does Raymond cross her mind every day? And why? How? So if Villanelle is the first person we see her express this to, I'm good about it. I'm good. I just wanted everyone to know that I'm anxious about it. And we're three episodes left and I'm just like, oh, you guys, you... You guys, I need this information. Don't do this to me. Don't do me like Carolyn in Russia in series one. Give me some fucking answers instead of adding more questions. Anyway, sir, I think that concludes me today for the muses. I'm like, I will say that, say that, say that. But yeah, that's it. I I came, I mused, and it was intense. I mean, that is a lot to consider, and we will see what gets wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow here at the end of series three, and what may have to just wait for Laura to tackle when she begins or is currently working on series four like i said if you have some things you feel that you might want to see maybe covered uh maybe addressed maybe uh worked in as i feel like what are you telling people that they could get their ideas worked in you never know what people are already thinking about it's possible i just you know writers are very territorial And so I just think it's a lot to expect someone who has been given a writing opportunity to crowdsource what they should do. They probably have very specific ideas already. And Laura was working on this past series. So I'm sure she has very specific ideas about what she wants to do. I just hope, I just hope they're in line with what we want. Like Suzanne said in the interview, new showrunner comes in, does what they want. And they just hope they have the support that they need. So I'm just hoping that the bitch is vibing. Her one episode with the fight and then the one after was very different, but I didn't dislike them and I really really enjoyed the fight still my favorite ep of the season so I'm hopeful at this time for that 